Welcome. This is Out of the Ordinary Books, where we believe that the books we read help us better understand the lives we lead. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And every week we share an Out of the Ordinary book and how it can help you make sense of your story too. These aren't book reviews or recommendations. These are conversations about some of our best friends, worst enemies, toughest coaches, most passionate lovers, and kindest teachers that line our bookshelves. We hope these conversations help you see the deeper story hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. I've known Jennifer Dukes-Lee for a decade now. A longtime journalist turned accidental farm girl, she now lives in Iowa on a fifth-generation family farm where pigs outnumber people, where there is a ride-your-tractor-to-school day, and her house sits on the edge of a sea of corn that moves and waves in the wind. And her writing is a lot like those fields. It will nurture you and fill you up in both stomach and soul. In these days of online noise and competing messages all trying to get our attention, Jennifer is one of the few voices I have invited into my head on purpose, because she is quick to encourage, slow to compare, and always believes the best about the people and the world around her. In the book she is sharing with us today, Growing Slow, Jennifer tells her story of rude awakening to the ways her chosen lifestyle of running hard, scaling fast, and the never-ending chase for results was taking a toll on her body, heart, and soul. With vivid storytelling from the farm, Jennifer charts a path for us out of the pressures of bigger, harder, faster, and into a more rooted way of living, where the growth of good things is deep and lasting. I can tell you that reading Jennifer's words has an actual physical effect on me. On the days when my shoulders are bunched and hunched up against the pressures of other people's expectations, the rat race of social media or the measuring sticks we beat ourselves up with, I actually exhale when I get to the end of a chapter Jennifer has written. I unclench my jaw, I roll out my shoulders, and I remember that I'm not a number or a marketing statistic, that I am not behind in a race, that in fact, there is no race at all. Christy and I are delighted to welcome Jennifer Dukes-Lee to the podcast today, reading from Growing Slow, Lessons on Unhurrying Your Heart from an Accidental Farm Girl. Chapter 1 Permission to be unspectacular. I am an accidental farm girl. I never intended to live in a place where pigs outnumber people by a significant margin. Stray cows trample your rose bushes, and the school hosts a drive your tractor to school day every spring. In fact, my intention as a child growing up in Iowa was to escape it. I was raised in a small town nestled down by the North Raccoon River. It was a blink-and-you'll-miss-it kind of town. The closest McDonald's or J.C. Penney was a half hour away. I wanted skyscrapers, streetlights, subways, and swarms of people on humming sidewalks. When I was 18, those dreams seemed within reach. 
with enough hustle, of course. My acceptance to university felt like a ticket to freedom. It was the first day of college orientation at Iowa State University in Ames. Hundreds of us sat in fold-down auditorium chairs with padded seats while a motivational speaker paced in front of us, her high heels clicking with each step. What do you want to be famous for? She asked us. Her question hung in the air. She paused long enough for us to fantasize about our answers. Visions of who we would be at age 25, 35, 45 materialized. Although fame had never been a goal I'd articulated, the question awakened something in me, perhaps in all of us. She had just delivered a sparkling invitation to be spectacular. For a girl who grew up in obscurity, with the cornfield in her backyard and silos in her skyline, the idea was incredibly appealing. Who doesn't long to be known? In that moment, I began to dream about my future self as an award-winning journalist, perhaps on Capitol Hill. The daydream offered the promise of a Pulitzer, and I believed in its possibility. I would make a mark on the world. People wearing neckties would answer my calls and care about my opinion. Of course, my life would also be characterized by charity and decency. Some future husband and I would create extraordinarily bright and well-behaved children who would eat all their vegetables. And if I got my spiritual act together, I would finally take hold of the faith that my Sunday school teachers had tried to instill in me. And then, in the years stacked on top of years— I ran fast and furious toward the making of a spectacular life. Back in the college auditorium, my barely adult self didn't really want fame. I simply wanted a life of meaning, a noble aim planted within each of us by God himself. We all crave a meaningful life. This is good and holy. But in the quest for meaning, we get mixed up, turned around, and accidentally end up constantly in a hurry. We rush to grow successful businesses, a more potent faith, robust bank accounts, and, if we are parents, spiritually grounded children. We climb proverbial mountains and dream bigger dreams. Any obstacles can be obliterated swiftly by the right amount of self-help dynamite. That sort of existence may indeed lead us somewhere spectacular. But the costs are high. We end up feeling rushed, often anxious, and out of sorts, fearful that we are falling behind. Here, the hurried heart is born and then nurtured in a million ways by a culture that idolizes bigger, harder, faster— this was the life I accidentally chose, a life of running hard, scaling fast, and chasing results. Do you know the bruising, try-hard way of the hurried heart? A hurried heart manifests itself in both big and little ways, from the way you feel about your life's worth to the way you respond to being stuck in a long line at Starbucks. It's the way you react when you hop on Instagram, see everybody winning, and conclude that your contributions seem meaningless. Take a moment to reflect on your life 
and consider whether you show signs of a hurried heart. You feel like you are working harder than ever, but can never get ahead. Periods of slowness make you feel uneasy, like you should be doing something productive. You check your phone immediately upon waking up. You get frustrated in traffic or in long lines at grocery stores. You rarely make time for play. You feel a sense of urgency to get things done. Sometimes this keeps you up at night. You can't remember the last time you felt bored. You think if a person is bored, she might be a little lazy. You pride yourself on your ability to multitask. You never feel you've done enough. Delays or unexpected obstacles upset or irritate you. You've asked yourself questions like, does anything I do even matter? Or what do I have to show for my life? Not all of these will resonate, but even if a few do, you probably have a hurried heart. Let's be honest, almost all of us do, but we don't know how to tap the brakes. We want to believe a slower life is possible, but fear we will miss out if we don't keep the pace. So we bend to the pressure to go big and get public, and that's exactly the moment when we miss the gift of slowness, even the gift of obscurity. We chase after something that keeps slipping through our fingers. This grasp at an elusive state of spectacularness never ends for it always seems just out of reach, which means everybody keeps moving a little faster to touch a moving target. Adult Jennifer understands what college Jennifer didn't yet know in that auditorium. We don't need permission to be spectacular. We need permission to be unspectacular. We need permission to stop trying to build something bigger, to have the right conversations with the right people, to stop sucking in our guts, to stop waiting for the kids' nap time so we can finally get to our important work. We need permission to stop idolizing brawn and might. We need permission to take our time to marvel, to wonder and ponder and savor and to move at the unhurried pace of Christ. Time is not a commodity to be used, but a gem to be treasured. We need permission to grow slow. Just a small town girl. Perhaps ironically, I grew up at the speed of slow in that tiny town near the trickling North Raccoon River. They say life is a marathon, not a sprint. And somehow the stars aligned so I could begin my life story in Marathon, Iowa. All the streets were named after Greek places like Attica and Sparta. And one cold February day, my parents brought me home from the hospital to our century-old house on Athens Street. That house was my home until I left for college. Life as a small-town girl felt exceptionally unspectacular. The three words I uttered almost every day were, Mom, I'm bored. Yet amidst the boredom, there was a stability that I didn't appreciate until later in life. The people who held me at church as a baby bought my Girl Scout cookies and cheered me and my siblings on at basketball games. 
They attended our baptisms and our weddings. Later, we attended their 50th wedding anniversaries and their funerals. Life was a series of church basement potlucks, long visits from the Avon lady, bike rides to the gravel pit, popping tar bubbles on the road with our bare toes, May Day baskets, and tree climbing. There were parades, 4th of July picnics, ice cream socials, and Saturday night gatherings called the good old days. Every activity, a pancake feed at the American Legion Hall, a community potluck at the park, was advertised by writing the who, what, and where in permanent marker on poster boards, duct taping those boards to a barrel and setting that barrel right out in the middle of Main Street. No one was a stranger in Marathon. I knew everyone at the bank, the grain elevator, the hardware store. Local characters had nicknames like Spot, Brick, Tuck, Buck, and Mountain Man. Mom would get mail addressed simply to Mama D, Marathon, Iowa, 50565, because the postman knew the slot in which to slip the letter. When mom was hospitalized with cancer, our hometown responded in ways that speak to the meaning and connection our small, slow life afforded us. In those two weeks, Mama D received more than 500 cards and letters. People made the three-hour trip to sit with her while she recovered in the hospital. And when she got home, Marathon women had left casseroles for her in the refrigerator. We always left the door unlocked. Looking back, I am overcome with nostalgic affection for those days. In this culture of speed, I grieve what's been lost. I am certain my childhood sounds like a scene ripped from the Hallmark Channel. Quaint, charming, peaceful. Let's look closer. Over the years, the ethic of bigger, better, faster began to disintegrate the fabric of our little town. In the 1980s farm crisis, several of my schoolmates' parents lost their farms and were forced to move off their land. Bankruptcies and suicides shattered farmsteads and communities across America. One afternoon, I watched as four vacant buildings in our town were simultaneously demolished with dynamite. Those doomed storefronts had once held life. Inside those buildings, I sat for my first haircut and ordered my first chocolate malt. But the stores were shuttered when their owners could no longer compete with the bigger and better offerings in larger nearby towns. And so, to clean up the town, crews blew those buildings to smithereens. Big and fast, trampled over small and slow, leaving a footprint the approximate size of Walmart. When I left that small, slow life in Marathon, I had no desire to return. Years later, I wrote an essay for the Des Moines Register declaring that I'd never live in rural America again due to its decline and lack of career options. To that, God seemed to say, ha! The life I declared all but dead is now the one I'm living, a mere hundred miles from the tiny town I first called home. Sociologists call people like my husband and me U-turn farmers, a term used to describe people who have been tugged away from the city to return to their rural roots. 
In many ways, life in my current town is similar to the one I knew as a child. Everyone knows everyone, not only by their last names, but by their pickup trucks. I know my bank teller not by the nameplate at her station, but by her face in the gymnasium bleachers. I know our neighbors not because they wave to me on the highway, but because we show up for each other at baby showers and funerals and in the back pew with tears streaming. We don't have good old days celebrations like we had in Marathon, but I do see my childhood community echoing forward to find me here, in another town, in another decade. Our little town here in Lyon County is famous for its annual 4th of July celebration, complete with a pancake breakfast, a parade, a demolition derby, and a contest where greased pigs are set loose in a ring to be captured. One of the most beautiful parts of small-town living is the way people take care of each other. In the same way, I remember people taking care of our family when mom got cancer. When someone gets a bad diagnosis here, someone else will invariably plan a, quote, benefit dinner. Just like in Marathon, someone will write the who, what, and where on a poster board, and set a barrel smack dab in the middle of Main Street to advertise it. Farmers will haul out a gigantic grill and make pork sandwiches. Local ladies will make pounds of potato salad piled like cumulonimbus clouds in gallon pails. Everyone will show up. If you spent a year here with me, you'd notice right away that the rhythms are slow and natural enforced by the seasons, and kept in motion by God, the keeper of the tempo. The rhythms are so slow that you can hear the sunset, as Rob puts it. Rob and Michelle are dear friends who live a mile south of us, and Scott and I have spent many summer nights sitting with them under the roof of their screened-in porch, enjoying red wine poured into stemmed glasses while the sun slips out of sight turning the clouds into floating pink feathers. When the sun sets, the birds change their tune from bright singing to a distinctly different sound. They call each other back to the roost. Soon, night noises emerge, a chorus of crickets, frogs, and locusts. But between the two, the day sounds and the night sounds, there is a pause an absolute silence that feels like both a benediction and a new beginning. This is the sound of growing slow. It sounds magical, yes? Still, so many of us, even here in the peaceful countryside, fight against natural rhythms that are so blatantly obvious you can hear them in the nightly sunset lullaby. Don't let the romanticism fool you. We still succumb to enchantments of faster, bigger, stronger every single day. Like hurried people everywhere, we dismiss the wonder of ordinary life. Despite our desires for sustainable growth, we can't quite shake the allure of more and fast. More growth, more influence, more money, more knowledge, more followers, more approval, more success, more comfort more progress in our marriages, more fruit in our parenting. Like almost everyone I know, we live on the edge of exhaustion. 
There's always an itch to hurry, to check our phones, to monitor progress, to wonder why we aren't further along by now. We are tempted to structure our lives around accomplishment and quantitative results. We suffer from distraction and impatience. The concept of growing slow in a culture of speed sounds nice, but unrealistic. Won't we get behind? Won't people think we're lazy? But deep down in our hearts, all of us, no matter where we live, are desperate to slow down. We want to know it's possible. Is it? What if we could reclaim the peace and connection of a slower way? What if we could live life more thoughtfully in the places where we have been planted? Or what if we can't? If we dial it all back, will we be trampled underfoot like those demolished buildings in Marathon left as rubble in the race for spectacular? Have we reached the tipping point and it's too far gone? Is the dream of a simpler life really nothing more than nostalgia? I am convinced that we can have a simpler life by making deliberate and thoughtful choices. With a growing slow mindset, we will harness the rhythm of our ordinary lives, making a choice to protest the accelerated pace that always demands more. This decision will ask a lot of us. We will need to change how we work, how we measure success, how we love, and how we live. This is a complete revolution. A growing slow mindset will rescue us from the rim of exhausted living. Come to the land, friend. Come to the fields of our farm. And come to the holy land of our spiritual ancestors, for it has much to teach us. I believe with all my heart that our spiritual ancestors would tell us this. It's okay to grow slow, because when you grow slow, you grow deep. Early Christians from a place called Colossae would have understood the value of deep-rooted growth. The Colossians lived in a city surrounded by fields that yielded olives and figs. Farmers pastured sheep, which contributed to a thriving wool industry. In Latin, the dyed red wool was called Colossinum, an indication of the city's namesake. Deep roots mattered on those farms and in the hearts of first-century believers. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he spoke to them in terms they would have understood, farming terms. He wrote, Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. This slow growth, this is what we were made for, with roots growing deep, growing strong in truth. This is the way to sustainable growth in our families, our friendships, and our faith journeys. It is possible, and it is the way of Christ. The Slow Growth Movement An entire international movement has emerged out of our innate desire for a decelerated life. In the same decade that those buildings were demolished on Marathon's Main Street, 
the slow movement was born on the other side of the world, in Italy. It was 1986. Carlo Petrini protested the opening of a fast food restaurant in Piazza di Spagna, Rome, which spurred a global movement toward slow food. Carlo better not get between me and my Taco John's potato olays with nacho cheese, but I do appreciate what emerged from his protest. A deeper appreciation of local food, traditional cooking, and artisan production. The idea? Eating should be about quality and pleasure, not the swiftness of production. The slow food philosophy took hold. Over the years, the concept expanded to slow education, slow fashion, slow travel, even slow sex. Whole cities have adopted the philosophy of being a slow city or sit a slow. All of it is a revolt against accelerated living. The slow movement offers evidence that we really can deliberately slow down at our dinner tables, in our offices, on our roads, and in our minds. We can regain the connection and meaning that our hearts long for. But will we? Some of us wonder, if I grow slow, will I lose my edge? Will I lose my job? Will I miss out if I stop long enough to catch my breath? Take heart. Growing slow will actually make you better at what you do, not worse. But your focus is no longer on the pace of your growth. Instead, it's on the depth of your roots. It's walking it all out at a gospel pace, one step at a time, one task at a time, one bite at a time, one touch at a time, one conversation at a time. We don't need to complicate this. It's the simple things that will pull us out of the culture of hurry. Refusing to multitask, instead focusing on the single task before you. Lighting candles at the dinner table so you can linger with your family. Sitting down while you eat so you can taste the food. Resisting the urge to check your phone at the stoplight. Looking in their eyes, really looking when they tell you a story. Taking time to celebrate accomplishments instead of flinging yourself forward to the next thing. There's a Middle English word that centuries ago emerged as a way to wish someone a blessing when they were about to embark on a journey. I wish you Godspeed. Literally, Godspeed means may God cause you to succeed. What would it look like to walk at a Godspeed pace toward God-defined success on our growing slow journey? Godspeed is the pace of Christ. When I think of a Godspeed pace, I think of what Eugene Peterson described in his message paraphrase as the unforced rhythms of grace. A Godspeed pace looks like a slow walk with Jesus. Our Savior spent three years preparing His disciples for ministry. There were no life hacks for learning faster. A Godspeed pace looks like a decade or more before Paul experienced his first missionary journey. A Godspeed pace is Jesus walking, not running, along dusty roads. He passed by farm fields, taking time to draw lessons from them. He stopped at wells, paused to teach on hillsides, withdrew for long periods in the wilderness, and enjoyed long dinners with friends. Listen to these verses carefully. Let the invitation from Jesus fall gently on your weary heart. Are you tired, 
worn out, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The invitation is before you and me. Let's slow to the pace of God's speed, matching step for step the unforced rhythms of days and seasons. You don't have to hurry anymore. Your pace is your pace, and it will get you to the place God has prepared for you. For now, perhaps, that place is right here in your ordinary life. Grab hold of this truth and hold it with all your might. God is with you in the spectacular, and He's with you in the regular. There is dignity in both places. Your ordinary life matters. There is honor inherent in being faithful in the small things, even in the fields where the seed is just beginning to break open underground. You don't have to be brilliant to be beautiful. You don't have to be influential to be important. You don't need to be an authority in order to have agency over the square foot of land where our good Lord has placed you. He knows all about you, and He knows what's ahead. He has a plan that takes into account the mistakes you'll make, as well as the little victories you ought to stop and celebrate. God doesn't expect you to get it all right right now, and you don't have to expect that either. It's time to unhurry your heart. Growing slow is overdue. Some people won't like the slowed-down version of you. They'll want you to hurry up, get it right, stay the course, and keep saying yes. You'll confuse and frustrate them when you change your mind or when you don't grow fast enough. Some people won't understand you. That's okay. They didn't plant the field that makes you you. God did. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.